The XY Advisor podcast is intended for professional financial advisors. This content is created in partnership with our sponsor, Macquarie Bank Limited, ABN 46008 583 542, AFSL 237 502, and is limited to publicly available information. Before acting on any general advice, you should consider whether appropriate and obtain financial advice from a qualified financial advisor. XY Advisor does not hold an AFS license and does not provide any financial advice or services or endorse any general advice. If a PDS or IM exists, you should obtain a copy and review it thoroughly before making a decision. Welcome to the XY Advisor podcast, a global community of financial advisors sharing and learning with one another to drive the positive evolution of financial advice. To get involved, go to xyadvisor.com or simply download the XY Advisor app. Understanding the benefits of scale and having a plan for sustainable growth is just one part of Macquarie Van Build for the Future, an 18-month program for a select group of like-minded financial advice business leaders. Work with your peers and our experts and be guided through the four core foundations for growth. The program includes four full-day workshops, a series of coaching calls, and opportunities to build supportive networks that will help you stay accountable via online tools and forums. To find out more, go to macquarie.com.au forward slash VAN. Hello and welcome to the XY Topics Podcast. My name is Fraser Jack and this is episode two in a series called The Blueprint for the Successful Advice Firm of the Future. Episode one was actually released on the 1st of March 2022. So if you haven't listened to that one yet, then it's well worth going back and looking it up. In the series, we get the inside scoop from the Macquarie Virtual Advisor Network, otherwise known as Macquarie Van, a group of high-performing businesses taking their success to the next level. In this episode, I'm very excited to be able to open up the vault and chat with Shan Chung, Client Development Manager from Macquarie Virtual Advisor Network. And joining him in this episode is Tom Radcliffe, Executive Chairman and Director of Encore Advisory Group. Our conversation takes us on a deep dive into the scalability of advice practices. We discuss topics like measuring your success, as in the stats that really matter. Uh, We discuss people, uh, productivity, process, culture, outsourcing, and of course, technology. This episode is jam-packed with helpful tips and ideas from two absolute superstars. So if you're wondering how you're going to scale your advice offering, then this episode is a must. Welcome back to this part two in a series that we're calling The Blueprint for the Successful Advice Firm of the Future. Uh, We're talking about the scalability and capacity management um, for an advice practice, which is obviously very topical today. Uh, I think many firms have, um, at the moment anyway, certainly growth opportunities uh, is not necessarily something they're looking at at the moment because people have sort of got a lot of lot on, but definitely the, the concept of how do they then take that capacity and do something with it. I'm very lucky today to be joined by two incredible uh, guests, uh, which, which is amazing, which will probably mean you'll hear less from me, which is a great thing. Um, but we've got Tom from Encore and Sharon. Uh, from Macquarie Van, both with us today. So we're talking about decades of um, experience with working with advice firms. So, so much together from those two gentlemen. Sean, I'm going to drag you into the conversation. Welcome. Thank you so much for being here. Um, let's start, I guess, with just a quick recap, I guess, of where we, we got to and, and, and a little bit about you. Yeah, sure. Thanks, Fraser. So Macquarie's Virtual Advisor Network, for those that haven't heard the first podcast Just very briefly, uh, we run a community of advisory firms who are really growth oriented and they're open to sharing with each other. So since 2011, we've been helping those businesses to uh, run their business more effectively, develop strategies and execute them, but also get together as a community and share insights, which they tell us is actually the most valuable part. Um, One of the things that we do though is Firms from time to time need real depth of expertise. So we we go sort of across a broad spectrum of disciplines and sometimes we need to bring in an expert that goes really deep into one discipline 
to execute something legal, HR, technology, and so on. And so that's actually how I met Tom Redcliffe at Encore because they help businesses with all sorts of things, but in particular this this topic of creating scale and you know driving those profitability numbers, enabling growth, that sort of thing. So Tom, tell us about yourself. Thanks, John. Yeah, look, uh, Encore itself is 20 years old. I've been involved for eight years and had a, uh, a previous life before that in uh, in licensees and, and so forth and advice businesses. But basically with Encore, we work in across accounting, mortgage broking and financial planning. Now, often a lot of the businesses we work with do all three, probably in terms of scale, two to three million up to 20 million. So it ranges in there. Really, we work a bit like an advisor. Initially, often when we go in, we're trying to really uncover what someone's desired reality, what they want to achieve and what the current reality is. And there's often a gap. And uh, just like an advisor, we end up coming up with an SOA. Now, it doesn't need to be 80 pages, uh, but <laughs> but um, we come up with something like that. And then often we work with firms on an ongoing basis. And a lot of the time we find that is to that could be a formal board and governance structure or or holding people, you know, really often people want to be held to account. I personally chair five boards and three advisory boards. So that's sort of a core thing that I do, as well as obviously working within the consulting projects. Tom, that's incredible. I, uh, I, I can't help uh, love the concept of a reality gap. It's certainly, um, it's certainly a, you know, a great way to uh, – it's a great interesting thing for advisors because that's what they're doing with their clients and obviously it's an interesting thing for you that you can look at the reality gap and then uh, you know, essentially all your job is just to bring that, bring that gap together. Sean, I might, uh, I might uh, see if we can just quickly go back a step. Now we talked about, um, you know, successful advice firms, um, and we 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 talked a little bit about the first episode, but we didn't sort of get into it. But the, the, there was a, a, a few different pillars, and we kind of went through the pillar one and two in in the first episode. Do you want to just do a quick recap on the successful advice firms framework? Sure, Fraser. Thank you. Yeah, the framework is basically a result of us looking back over those years since 2011 and observing those businesses that really punched through those growth ceilings in that time. We've had businesses go, you know, two times, three times, five times um, over that period. So how did they do that? What were the success factors? And we structured them up into these four pillars. The first one is strategy or making better decisions and then executing well. Second one's clients, having a differentiated proposition and really, really understanding who your ideal client is and their needs. Third one is building a scalable model and having a plan for growth. And that's where we'll dive a little deeper today. And the fourth one is around people and culture, having a, um, a strong culture of ownership. Within those four pillars, we've injected a lot of those insights we've learned, a lot of expertise, and that forms the structure of the program that we, we have for Virtual Advisor Network. Fantastic. Now we're diving into um, uh, pillar three today, I guess. Uh, we'll, we, we might have to come back and do people and culture another time because I think there's so much in this this area that we want to cover off on. And of course, we've got uh, a couple of amazing experts to talk about. So let's let's dive into that. Um, Sean, you want to you introduce pillar three and then sort of uh, maybe the context around what we're talking about? Yeah, pillar three. So mentioned building a scalable model and, and having a plan for growth. And so that really involves everything to do with the, the operation of the business and then also how you attract that organic and inorganic growth. Now, just due to where we are in the industry at the moment, today we will probably focus more on the scalable side of things because we're finding that the clients are coming thick and fast. They're coming from cold sources, warm sources, you know, acquisitions are, are also a big opportunity. So it's actually right now less about attracting the growth and more about, um, as Tom would say, receiving that growth and and being able to to serve those clients efficiently. So we'll, we'll go deeper on that one today. So what does that entail? Well, you know, the question is, how does a business grow without simply adding more people, more complexity, more costs, and, and what are the components of that scalable operating model? So if your turnover is rising, how do we make sure that profit can rise and, and we're not just increasing complexity and making our lives harder? In terms of the answer to that question, you could roughly bunch it up into three components. One is the people, because obviously we're a people business. Second one is process. So what are, what kind of work are those people doing and how efficient is it? And the third one is technology as a key tool to, to enable those processes. So that provides a little framework for us to think about these things. 
you know, Tom, I know this is really where you spend a lot of your time helping businesses. So why don't we step through that? Maybe I can ask you about what, what it is you do and share some, some of the insights we've seen in practice with businesses. Yeah, Sean, look, I, I often find when people give me a call, often there's a problem or there's an aspiration, an unfulfilled aspiration or a combination of the two. I, uh, I like to start off with really understanding, uh, I mentioned before about current reality and desired reality. So a lot of my conversations are, what is the desired reality around business, client and personal? And then how does that match up to what that current reality is? That sounds simple, but those conversations can be incredibly meaningful, particularly as you get to the personal side. So for example, at a business level, there may be numeric targets. Often uh, people talk to me, they want to be a $5 million business from a 10, to a $10 million business. There could be a legacy or succession goal. Uh, I often find in terms of the client side of things, is it doing what you're doing now better or differently or is it adding another service line and doing something different for clients? And then at a personal level, uh, it could be, time release it could be i've decided to retire at 60 succession or it could be a, a significant achievement uh, that someone has in mind so for me working through what it is that you're seeking to achieve where you are now what the gap is that'll then ultimately lead to the projects or the initiatives you need to do to get there excellent yeah it makes a lot of sense and so um, once a business has been clear about that tom and they're fairly aligned on that what do you then, how do you then sort of diagnose where the business is today and start to measure the progress towards that? What, what does that look like? Yeah. So by way of example, if I was to give you a business that's currently at a $5 million turnover and it, it is often I find a solid aspiration, people go, oh, I'd like to be a $10 million business in three to five years. That would not be uncommon. So that then makes me break that down. So the first thing I would say is, right, there are really three sources of growth. There is uplift from existing clients. Now, that might depend a bit on your fee model. So if you have a flat fee model, that might be indexing your fees, for example, by inflation. If it's a percentage model, maybe a slightly different thing. So that's one source. Then the next source would be organic growth. So that's, for me, if businesses are getting referrals from existing clients, that is a great sign of health. Um, that's a crucial one. But then my next question would be, if you get that referral and it's an ideal client, what's the ideal revenue per client? Um, and ideally, we'd like to be aspiring to lift that. So that's another crucial element. It might be inorganic from centers of influence. So what are we getting from that? And then the third one would be M&A. And I can pretty well guarantee you, if you're looking to go from five to 10 in three to five years you will probably need to do a one or two mil worth of acquisitions. Will they be bite-sized chunks? Will they be one? And it will bring into frame some M&A capability, for example. So that's the first part is I like to break five to 10. Fantastic. Let's break it down. Let's work out in each component part what we think we're going to need to achieve because that will drive strategies within those parts around the client offer, around M&A, et cetera, et cetera. Tom, can I jump in there? When somebody's doing that, you know, obviously you take five to 10, there's a gap, there's a $5 million gap um, and that you're looking at. So you start with uplift to work out what the maximum amount of uplift can be, then work out what organic growth and then go, okay, well then if those two don't equal five, we need to do an M&A? Uh, absolutely. So I, I start with, uh, I leave M&A to the end. Um, and often what you've got to do when you're doing organic growth, so take, for example, a referral from existing clients, well, not all the advisors in the business are at the same rate per client for, or revenue per client. So I actually like to go right down to the pod level. So, so what, what's our targets for all the various pods? Because a pod could be at capacity or another one might have some room to move, but they mightn't have the same uh, revenue per client metric. So I find by getting that scientific, then I get to M&A and I can say, right, I reckon we need to do this in acquisitions to make these numbers reality. And we've worked it all out and broken it down. That's, yeah, that's great, Tom. Some observations I've seen recently that, that uh, relate to that are we had a, a conference and one of the speakers had recently moved their average client fee 
from 7,000 a year to 15,000. And that's, that's the average client fee. Now, that was done over a period of years and it was a del- deliberate strategy, but it was a combination of factors around them undercharging, potentially over-servicing, not really pricing to the value they're delivering. And I think that's quite a common common challenge. So having a structured plan in place for that uh, more revenue from existing clients is really key. And M&As it can be a tool for, for businesses of, of many sizes. We had a another business saying that they did their first acquisition. He was a young advisor when he had 300k of revenue and he brought on 400k of revenue you know it was a tough period but it's certainly a a vital tool for him to accelerate quite quickly great so that's the top line tom so what are the what do you measure on the way to achieving those top line figures yeah so that's the first part right you're you're breaking down growth so that aspiration um is it's a bit more granular in how you're working it out I'm a big uh, user of business health ratios. I think they do some excellent work in there. Uh, and that's, that's the next thing I get into because if you're looking to scale your business in its simplest form, if you're growing your top line there from five to 10, now let's pretend you had a 25% profit margin at the moment. Well, you really want to be aspiring to get to, to say 35, maybe even 40. So what that means is you've turned the growth into profitable growth. And I think that's, a really great sign that you've scaled your business. You've got to be doing some things to achieve scale to do that. So for me, um, when you're using these sorts of ratios, know the assumptions and the numbers. So for example, business health, assume 100K salary per advisor. Important you know that because you've got to compare apples with apples. But I like using ratios such as profit or revenue per employee, per advisor. And typically I'll take the business health number and then use context and formulate something with the business that's relevant to them. A really key ratio or two ones I'd call out is when it comes to salaries as a percentage of revenue. So the business health number is 38%. Now let's call it 40, for example. It's quite often I will see a business that will be 45 to 50. And really what we've worked through is We want to make the growth happen, but try and keep that cost base flat or or not rising at the same amount. And therefore, we're getting our salaries to revenue ratio to from 45 to 50 down to around that 40 mark as we scale the business and achieve the growth. And I think that is a really crucial measure that you're getting greater productivity uh, from your staff. The other one is what I was talking about before is pod science. So I like to break down the pods. Ideally speaking, you'd want to be seeing your advisor pods 800 to a mil in today's world. And it's it's really breaking that down. How many clients are in there? Is it full? Has it got capacity? Really getting stuck into that side of it because ultimately scale is going to come down to how you execute into that uh, model as well. So yes, that next level is really starting to get into these sort of ratio and analysis and working out what you're trying to achieve in those ratios as we sort of glide through the next three to five years. Tom, can I jump in there? As as you bring salary percentage down or the, the salaries of all staff, I'm assuming, we're talking about all staff salaries versus revenue. As you bring that down, I, I'm imagining a lot of these firms, then the, the staff have got more on their plate. They, they might be more efficient, but they're, they feel like they're doing a bit more. And then to me, scale is almost another layer on top that could add even more complexity into pushing that revenue percentage back up again. Is that, do you see that as a problem or is it, there's obviously a lot of efficiencies you've got to find? Absolutely spot on. So um, often what I'll find is that business at 45 is telling me and the staff are telling me it's, oh, we're at capacity, it's, it's semi-chaotic. So what often that will make me say, all right, we've got to just go back a couple of steps and work out why that's happening. And usually what I do when I do that, I start with the client and the client experience and work our way through because ultimately we, we want to get to a point, Sean talked about the ability to receive growth and a crucial part of that is your, really is your people and your processes and your systems being able to receive the growth. Yeah, excellent. Thanks, Tom. So you've set that high-level target. You've uh, set some metrics. Would you use business health as a reference for those? That's just publicly available data, is it? Uh, it's not public. They've got a calculator on their website. 
it's very you know, if you go in there you can subscribe to that it's not hugely expensive obviously they you can go through to more more um, expensive models but no that, that what I'm suggesting is there's some accessible numbers there and it's not massively expensive to do that excellent yeah it sounds like a worthwhile investment if, if someone's to look at that but yeah as, as a, a rule of thumb we often see 35% EBIT or 30 to 40 being quite healthy you know notwithstanding significant investments in growth and that sort of thing over short term okay well, their, so their average Sean, and in their survey over sorry about over a million dollars is 38% but oh, yeah. that's with a 100k salary so that's what I'll just got to be careful when you you're comparing apples with apples they're all practices so the ones the whole shooting match is more like about 28% but that's with a 100k salary so it gets back to what I was talking about before in apples with apples yep for sure Okay, so the business planning somewhat in place, some diagnosis done, getting into some of the solutions and, and uh, levers that advice principles can pull. If we were to start with the people side of things, what would be some of your top guiding principles when it comes to the people component? So with the people component, firstly, let's talk about this business from five to 10 mil. Now, if someone running the business is also running a pod of 800 to a mil, client responsibilities, that, that business, you've probably got 30, 20 or 30 people growing to 35, 40 people. So that's pretty significant. And I think that you, you'd want to start to look at more dedicated management in the business. In my experience, um, if you get a GM in there, you'll get a better quality one if they feel they can make a difference. Often I find with business owners, it's, it's your baby, right? And, I, I, and you, there's an emotion to that. But if you can find a way to, to sort of somehow compartmentalize that a bit and give them the ability to grow and achieve, you'll get a better quality person. Because what I find in the businesses I go into is the people side of it's the toughest part. The capacity, some of the stresses in the business, this is the part that gives. Often sort of the basics on role descriptions, individual development plans, performance reviews, I find hit and miss. Uh, so that's your basics, let alone the critical part of communication. And that can be routine-related communication, but also proactive communication. And in that, are you, are you providing a mixture of accountability and support in your leadership? There are some times with some people in some contexts where you need to dial it up and hold people to account. And other people put a lot of pressure on themselves. You've got to detect that and give them support. And I think part of good leadership is getting the basics right, but also being able to balance accountability and support within the context that you're dealing with with those people. Tom, can I jump in there? Um, as you're speaking, I'm thinking about the, the the fact that we've just been through the process of the numbers and now we have a real uh, understanding and the belief that the numbers or the targets or the focus for the future for these um, for these staff now are something that it's a just cause for them to be able to go, right, now I actually know what numbers I'm going to chase and I've got this thing, rather than just having, say, an arbitrary target that was just imagined at one point, they can actually focus on, you know, the the percentages and the numbers that you just talked about. Fraser, let, let them in the tent. Make them part of the formation of the purpose of the business. Make them feel part of the goals. Uh, it's incredibly engagement difference that comes from that. And when you give a little bit of trust to your people, it's amazing what you get back. And I know it's a risk, but I think it's a risk worth taking uh, because I, the difference I see in businesses that have just taken that little bit of risk is enormous. Tom, we have a great example of that in Van, one of the larger firms that they're approaching 50 million in revenue and they've tripled that in the last three or four years is they, they actually invite every single staff member to tell their leaders what they think the top three priorities should be for the business. And so we're talking about 200 plus people. And they'll extract themes from that. They'll validate it against what the leaders were thinking. They'll explain why the things they're not doing aren't being done. And, and so they're bringing more than 200 people inside the tent on, on shaping that direction. So, uh, you know, and they've, they've been shooting the lights out. So absolutely agree with that one. Yeah, so... Um, Excellent. So some good guiding principles there, that accountability and support balance. And we've also seen firms just accelerate rapidly once they dedicate that, that right leadership investment, which can be a challenging one, but um, really unlocks growth. And so on the people side as well, once you get into the operations of the business, Tom, you've got the, 
advisors and the teams working with clients, what kinds of productivity metrics do you focus on here and, and what levers are there to influence those? Yeah, what generally happens now is you're really climbing into the pods and the teams. So this is where productivity of advisors and productivity of pods and stuff it really comes into play. Generally speaking, uh, I find there are three models out there. You've, you've got a model which is very heavily pod orientated. So you'll often have an advisor, paraplanner, support staff member, and a lot goes on in the pod. That's a dominant part of the model. Other models I've seen that are very process driven have uh, extensive amount of centralized services in paraplanning and support. Might be all the way on the other side. Probably fair to say, I probably see a lot of models somewhere in the middle of that. So I like to know all of that because that's going to be crucial to productivity. Ultimately, in its simplest form, you want to get your, your pods to be as productive as possible. And as I mentioned before, I think you should ideally be trying to get 800 to a mil per pod if you can. Now, often what I will find is if things are straining below that, we've got to get into we've got to get in and diagnose why it'll come back to what I talked about before. I will often find that is something going on in identifying back to the client, the client experience. But most importantly, it's when I see variation. I mean, I was at an offsite a couple of weeks ago and I actually decided to interview each advisor separately because I was told that everybody had the same process, doing the same thing, same. For, well, they weren't. So then I put them all in the room and took them through each other's model. Now, that's understandable at the moment because it's, it's chaotic at the moment. Everyone's scrambling to get consent forms in at the moment between the end of June. Everyone's really busy and often you don't sit down and actually just do this sort of exercise. But ultimately, if you can't get consistency in the pods, it's very hard to scale with your support staff. And then support staff get confused if there's any centralization in your model about what they're supposed to do because it varies between the advisors. So this is the stuff that's crucial to productivity. Tom, I've got a quick question just as you're talking about pods. Um, what's the average size of the pod as in the amount of advisors and support staff and paraplanning? On, on average, it's on the business health numbers, about two and a half, uh, recently validated and advisor rate and ratings numbers and things like that. So typically speaking, you'll see advisor, power planning, uh, and a CSO, and it'll be somewhere in that range of two and a half, maybe three people. But I think if you've got, say, three in a pod, you really should be shooting for a mil per pod if you've got three, I would say. Good stuff. What else could it say? There is some level of standardisation, but the the ratios aren't quite where they should be. What else might a business do to to lift advice team productivity? Yeah, well, it's what I like to um, do is so first of all get absolute clarity on the client we're serving. Number one, then what I've, I've found usually is it's been a fair while since everybody got in a room and went left to right on the client experience with initial advice and ongoing advice, just the crucial milestones. And, and what will come from that is you'll find there are things that you'll decide to eliminate. There are some good ideas that are going on that mightn't be uniformly applied you'll pick up, and effectively you'll recut your process. People will have felt bought into it. It'll be more aligned to the client and the client experience. So that's a simple exercise, good old left to right, get a whiteboard out, get some butchers, whatever it is. Do not underestimate that. Uh, I think that's, that's, a, that's something I love doing and it, it really works. Spot on. I, I agree. So this is really uh, starting to move into the process side of things, isn't it, Tom? And, and mm. having that, that time to, to try and improve current processes, cut out things that aren't valuable to clients. Um, so yeah, you mentioned a kind of a a client journey mapping exercise. We've done those before. They've been very effective. I've been surprised to see that it's it's not rocket science. If you're a business leader and you just give your team space to talk about the client experience, they will identify areas for improvement. You know, you don't need to be the grand architect. They're, they're doing it every day. They know that they know where things don't make sense. Um, how about if we stay on process for a bit, how about the, the cultural side of that? You know, if, if a business is trying to constantly improve processes, which 
we find that really high-performing businesses do, what would be your advice to a business leader to impact that kind of culture and, and make, help make it happen? Well, the first thing as a leader is to be a sponsor of it. That's number one. Now, an exercise I've found very useful before the one I just mentioned is we'll often give interview staff members separately. Now, the reason for that is it prevents group think. So what you do is you give everybody a common little preparation template. And I use a very simple thing, uh, put up four elements around financial aspects, around processes, around people, marketing and client, right? So four, four areas. What do we need to fix? What are some great ideas we could pick up on? And what are some risks to avoid? And you give everybody that and you interview them separately. And then you end up with a composite of that. And I think that's a really great exercise to go through and a really good backdrop to then do the left to right exercise that I talked about. It will also, it'll be a great way of giving what I often find it gives you like a voice of the business. So you can talk to the owners and take them through that. And then from there, it's a great backdrop to work on your strategic plan um, and, and identify key priorities and initiatives as well. So it's a double whammy. You can help you with your strategic planning, but also it's a great exercise to do before you do that left to right exercise with process that I talked about before. That's a great one. Yeah, I love the idea of interviewing employees separately uh, and then bring it back together. Takes a lot of trust from the owner. Uh, Once again, by giving a bit of that trust away and allowing people like me to talk to them individually, you can be feeling inside yourself, Oh, what are they saying about me? Or what are they saying? You know what? Let it go. It's a valuable thing. Hey, can I jump in there too, uh, mm. Tom? I love the framework, by the way. Fix, you know, what needs to be fixed? What, what, you know, what ideas can be improved and what do we need to avoid? I think you could use that so many ways mm. and, and so many different parts of the business. But you mentioned the word trust from the owner. And I think this is a really important point when it comes to culture. And I love uh, Simon Sinek's saying that, you know, a, a team is not a group of people who work together. They're a group of people who trust each other. Yes. But that trust that the advisor or sorry, that the owner is showing in the staff, that that's felt, isn't it, by the person you're interviewing? They feel the fact that they they know they're in a safe space and that their opinion is trusted. Oh, you can feel it in the walls almost. It's it's funny when you you walk in. There's a just some sort of an energy or a sense in a business that's got that going. Whereas I'll get another one where it isn't. Frankly, it isn't going, and I feel it feels sometimes disjointed, stilted. There's something someone's not saying. Yeah, it's got a very different vibe about it. Uh, and you know what? Everything's changeable. So if you've got that vibe isn't quite right, well, do something about it. And I think the way to do something about it is you've got to give a bit of trust away to shift the dial and get you further over to this part. Good call. Good call. There, there was an example we saw in improving processes where this was a great tool that the leaders used actually to demonstrate trust. They formed what they called an edge team, as in innovating at the edge, across for people across roles in the business from junior to senior, and they gave them a few boundaries. For for example, here's your budget. You can actually you can experiment and you can actually lose clients, but only up to a revenue level of X, and no reputational damage or compliance breaches. You know, within those boundaries, you can do anything you like, and that was quite liberating. So they went away and tried all these different client experience, you know, things and ways to engage with the market and each other. And it was incredibly successful. So that they gave really clear boundaries and then complete freedom within those. And then you, you were talking about process improvement and doing the journey. Um, we've found that the lean discipline is helpful with that. You know, if any listeners are wondering where what tools might exist for that, you know, it's, it's Toyota's mastery of improving processes. And it's a very simple way of thinking about reviewing processes to increase value to clients and cut out waste. So um, so we've seen firms use that to great effect as well. What about where a business has less control, Tom? So, because not all advice practices, sorry, advice practices don't have control over everything, you know, so they're often dealing with providers and partners and experiencing frustrations with those. What ideas do you have around managing that kind of uh, scalable challenge? Look, when you're dealing with, I think a good example at the moment is the annual consent process on platforms. I mean, if there's one issue at the moment, I am hearing screaming in my ears is the scramble to, to June 30. And the reality is some platforms are taking the licensees 
consent form, some aren't. And really, I'm finding that's a major source of inefficiency at the moment. So you know what? Take a, take a look. Issues like that, evaluate whether your provider is working with you to provide the best experience for the client that you can and is helping your staff feel like they're, they're enabled in a, in a good environment to do that. If that isn't working on both those metrics of the client and your people, well, I would, I would reconsider who you're working with. Uh, quite frankly, uh, because uh, that's that may not be a sustainable relationship, um, and and will harm your productivity and your ability to scale. So you want partners that get it, and that will scale with you. Good call. Good call. Other facet of, of process that you help firms with quite closely is outsourcing, and we're seeing that over the last five to ten years go from kind of a dip the toe in type thing to almost a um, requirement now to for firms that scale up. How are you seeing that play out? You know, what advice do you have for firms looking at that? Because it does come with risk and and in quite a significant investment of of time and resources. Look, the logic of outsourcing on the surface it's quite compelling. Like you sit there and probably the most when you think outsourcing, I know you immediately think of a Philippines or an Indian solution. There's probably there's different sorts of outsourcing. That's just, that's just one of them. But often there is quite significant cost benefits that can come from that. What I have found is the people that have been successful in a solution like that, uh, there's a few key principles. So number one is with the resources, for example, they might be using offshore, is they actually make them part of the team. So they're not just sort of someone separate. Uh, They blend them into team meetings, pod meetings, pictures on walls of them, these days in the pandemic, Zoom meetings, you, know, you name it, there's a genuine engagement. The other one would be, if you haven't done my the, the left to right process I talked about before and really, really got yourself nailed down on your client experience and your processes and so forth, if you haven't done that and then you go to outsourcing, it will be exposed because what will happen is it will increase confusion. I, that's where I've found sort of probably major trouble in moving to that sort of an outsource model. So I would do that exercise before I, uh, I get into the, you know, that sort of outsourcing or offshoring. Now, that's not the only source of outsourcing, but I'm using that as an illustration. The benefits are there, but I do think you've got to do the groundwork to make this an effective strategy. Yeah, absolutely. That, that makes a lot of sense from what I've seen. And, and then that way, if you've got a clear process, you can hand over a very clear and discreet part of that and then expand expand their remit from there as opposed to giving them a complete and and um, ambiguous kind of process, right? Okay, and then and say a business has done some of that groundwork, they're ready to go, they, they start talking to some providers, they even sign up to one. What, what, what should a business pay attention to to make sure that that's successful as time goes on? So... And we'll probably get into a little bit of this when we talk about technology later on. Similar principle. That is, uh, I think you've got to have your own selection criteria formulated before you even consider any options. So, so something like that will come from the client you serve, your offer, your staff, a whole lot of elements will come into that. And that will help you formulate a criteria of selection, so whether it be platform, asset consulting, technology, anything, formulate your own selection criteria. And then when you get the options, you'll be evaluating or scoring them against that versus being kind of tactical. Uh, and sometimes someone can be a really good presenter or, or, or so forth, but is it the best fit for your top-down criteria? Great call. Yep. So, so that allows you to go in with specific questions to test what they can do against your needs Absolutely. and take it from there. Yep. Good call. Good call. Okay. So w- why don't we go further into the tech side of thing? And I know this is a real area of specialty for, for Encore. Tell us generally about technology and at, say at the top level, again, some guiding principles if a, if a business is reviewing their, their tech stack or their tech environment, how should they be thinking about it at the highest level first? Yeah, so I think when it comes to technology, probably I call it the technology lolly shop factor. There's a lot of stuff out there and there's some pretty good people selling technology as well, by the way. 
So you will get noise thrown at you in technology. And, and, and often there's issues with the technology you're using. So once again, as I mentioned before, I think it's good to sit back from that and work out, right, start like this. Number one, go back to the client. Who is the client we serve? Who is the client that we want to serve in the future? What are we good at? What's our capability? Because that will then guide, and your people will help you do this, guide your process, the left to right. Um, Then get into the technology in that order. Rather than being tactical with technology, be purposeful and it, it it should come through that process. Because then what you'll start to do is you'll start to formulate a technology selection criteria. Uh, and I think that's really important. Now, you'll be looking at your tech stack in two dimensions. First of all, you'll be looking at it at an enterprise level. Now, a lot of people use Microsoft, for example. Well, how well are you using their basic tools, Office, Power BI, et cetera, et cetera. So there'll be how you're working SharePoint. There'll, there'll be how you're working at an enterprise level. Uh, but then also you might delve into the advice side, for example, and then you'll start to get into more specialized things uh, with planning software, workflow, CRM, etc. So I think you've got to have some guiding principles, um, probably right over the top of those guiding principles. Um, do you want to be completely cloud-based? right? Um, You'll get into issues such as security. I mean, the number one thing on all my risk registers with the firms I chair these days is data, privacy, and cyber. So that's, yeah, that's going to be a core requirement over the top. Capability, quality, ease of use. These will all come in uh, to your selection criteria. I'd say they're probably more broader brushed criteria. Then as you get into your more specific applications, say, CRM, for example, that will really depend on your business. It will depend on the client you serve, what you feel you need to capture. Um, You'll develop a criteria for that. And there's heaps of CRM options. I mean, do you need the Rolls-Royce Ferrari CRM or do you need something a bit simpler? Um, And that will be a function of your business. So bottom line is be very purposeful with your technology decisions Start with the client, then process, then technology, develop a top-down criteria, consider enterprise level, and consider the parts. And then same as I mentioned before, then go through your selection criteria. Uh, that's sort of the order of events that I would recommend. Excellent. Yep. Great structure there. We've seen examples as well where a business leader has exercised good change management by bringing a tech-savvy member of their team into that process of testing the selection criteria and they were looking at a particular piece of software and because they were quite granular about what they needed from a, a flow of, of process point of view, they actually found a, um, a deal breaker piece of that software that it didn't allow them to move forward and that allowed them to, to call that one off. And, you know, that it, they said if they had implemented that, it would have been an enormous waste of time and money. So having that criteria really clear and in some cases, granular, you really want to test it as well, don't you? Hey, Tom, can I throw something in there too? I, I, I love the fact that you've got that those guiding principles and I think safety, as you mentioned, that security is, a, is an absolute I, – I used to come from the school of thought where I love the shiny stuff as well and uh, and these days I'm, I'm very much on the other side of that coin where I'm like, yes, yes, granular needs to work, but it, it also needs to make sure you keep your client's data safe. Absolutely. Um, I think uh, – it's, it, it's a back-to-basics approach probably. And, and two other things that I'd add on to what you both said is if you are considering using a provider and it's going to be a major part of your business, there'll be colleagues you've got or, or that, that probably use that or have checked it out. Get the intel. This is where it's, I think, valuably part of a community. What self, I'm self-employed, right? Self-employment is, can be a lonely world. So I think if you can be in valuable communities, this can help with stuff like this because other people will probably used it. The one thing I, I left out before, I just want to add in as well, data. We talked about some valuable assets, like people I think are the most valuable asset in your business. But I'll tell you one that's not maybe second or third, data. And if you haven't got your data cleaned, it's very difficult to implement an effective and efficient technology solution. So what I see with 
clients that have got issues with their data. There are specialist providers that clean data, but you know what the best one is? They send the data out to the pods and go, guys, uh, next time you speak to clients, update this, cleanse this, and, and actually they do a, I know it takes a bit of extra time, but they do a good job. So the, the quality of data, data is an asset. I cannot emphasize enough. There is no technology solution you will implement with poor quality data that will work. You have to clean your data up. So, Tom, on there, that's probably uh, mm. sounds to me like that's a BAU. Then that's a inside a pod. That's a every time, yes. every time, not just a not, not just a one off, but that's a BAU ongoing. Every time, check the data, check the data. Absolutely. So, and and if you're out there and you're a general manager or CEO of a business, shine a light, and and you're concerned about the quality of data, well, make it part of the KPIs of the pods to do something about that. Because it's a really important asset for your business, so that's something that a leader could drive, and you know, put some put some reward, but put some accountability uh, behind that as well. Yeah, that's that's a great tip. We've also found that um, where you keep the data is obviously pretty important, and so one of the guiding principles van firms have used in the past is we we own our data and we have control over it. So if we're looking at a new system, to what extent does that system allow us to? move the data around in and out and also if we were then to turn off that system to extract our data and 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 many firms even just have a data storage hub from which all other systems move in and out as opposed to putting it all into a particular crm for example and that makes life a lot easier as time goes on can I, can I throw one more thing into the mix there when it comes to data? Um, obviously, the, the, we know the privacy principles state that, you know, they want data to be kept on in Australian service. Um, and just on technology, there's a lot of pieces of technology out there that might transcribe something for you or might make a quick and easy video, but that it uploads it onto servers that are in the cloud. So, um, you know, my tip there is just make sure that if you're uploading something to a, using a service that the, that it's, you know, you know with it where the data has been stored good call good call so tom we've we've covered off those three three buckets but i know you've got a lot of experience what what haven't we talked about that you think we should throw in the mix when it comes to building a scalable operating model well probably one thing like that is what i would call the wobbles what you what you will find yeah we talked before about so it could be a business going from one to a a one million dollar business trying to be a two or three million dollar business that's an inflection point it involves more people, a bit of forward investment. It could be, as I said, five to 10, 10 to 20, whatever your goal or aspiration is, if it involves quite solid amount of growth or significant growth, you will get to a point where you go, oh, gee, I've got to forward invest, do something here. That's a wobble because you've got to take a leap of faith, employ someone, put a bit extra fixed cost. Now, what I would say is the reality is, you can't grow unless you do that. You, you will hit those inflection points. But the best thing is, have you visioned out what the next wobble looks like? And what that will guide is, I think you will forward invest better and you'll prepare yourself and your people better for that next stage. It'll be more, that the vision will be clear. It'll be more structured, more planned. But don't underestimate the wobble. And I know what it's like um, uh, as well. We, we are investors and Encore, we put our money into things. So I, I know I'm, I, I'm not just a consultant and I know what it's like to get your wallet out. But I don't think you can achieve the sort of growth milestones I've talked about unless you do. Couldn't agree more, especially at a time like this when growth is everywhere. Those, investment. those investments will pay off. Yeah. The other thing I, I see a lot of, I mentioned before, is I do see more and more businesses now that are embracing the integrated financial services model. So... They might be currently in financial planning, but they're looking to add mortgage broking. Or they might be in accounting and financial planning, looking at mortgage broking or vice versa. I'm increasingly seeing more of that. So I think that's a really good aspiration, but it's a very different business model and it will test. So in terms of growth ceilings, part of your growth aspiration might be to build a model like that. What will be tested is your connective tissue between them. It will test culture. I think it's, I'm a huge believer in that model but it will present a test of connectivity and culture. Uh, and that would be another growth ceiling that uh, you should consider very carefully as well. 
Yeah, well, thank you. So, so many things, so many great things um, to touch on there when it comes to scaling businesses, which is again what scaling, keeping the the high touch, the high level of service up. It's it's incredible, um, gentlemen. Thank you both for coming on. Uh, just a quick uh, few of my highlights, really. Um, I, you know, starting with the measurements, Tom. I think is an, an incredible thing. You know, like quite often we we skip that part and and go straight into trying to solve the the problem. But until we really understand what we're trying to solve, I think it's it's really important. Um, obviously with uh, you know productivity uh, you know with the people um, the, the 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 culture conversations we had I think are vitally important and we could probably have that conversation ongoing uh, outsourcing is obviously a big part of what we covered in um, and technology I feel like we get to do just about do a podcast on each one of those subjects but um, I think it's what we covered today was was really great and um, I'm, I'm I know that people will have questions and want to have you know further conversations on this and just if they do uh, Tommy might start with you if someone wants to reach out to you and ha- continue this conversation what's the best way for them to find you Give you my email address. So it's T Redcliffe, T R E D D A C L I F at encoreag.com.au. Yep. So encoreag.com.au is the website if they want to check you out. Yep. That's the website as well. Encore.com.au. Thank you. I'm sure people will be reaching out. And, uh, and Sean, uh, what's the best way for people to, to reach out to you and, and the, uh, the van program if, um, if they want to continue that conversation? Yeah, they can head to macquarie.com.au forward slash van, V-A-N. And uh, that's a, a program, runs for 18 months. We go deeper on topics beyond scale and growth and allows you to share with your peers. You know, Tom mentioned that great point that you've probably got peers who are using software that you're looking at. That's one great example of what happens in van. They often go into state and do roadshows and go into each other's offices and, and actually look at this in person. So you can can create some really uh, genuine connections. So website, but also if you just contact your Macquarie BDM, they can certainly help you out with that. Thank you, gentlemen. Really appreciate uh, your bringing the value to this uh, this blueprint for the Successful Advice Firm series. Thanks, Thanks Fraser. Fraser.